Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, it's Dr. Will Cole. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is the art of being well. What's up and welcome to the art of being well. I am a leading functional medicine doctor. I get to consult people around the world via webcam and I'm a New York Times bestselling author. I wrote Intuitive Fasting, The Inflammation Spectrum, and Ketotarian. If you want to learn more about my clinical work, the telehealth center, becoming a patient, we have brand new telehealth patient options now open. And there's lots of free resources there for you as well. You can check it all out at drwillcole.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. The day is drawing nigh. My brand new book, Gut Feelings, is for pre-order right now. It may be out when you're listening to this episode. It's called Gut Feelings. The subtitle is Healing the Shame-Fueled Relationship Between What You Eat and How You Feel. So it's really, out of all the books I've written so far, this is my fourth one. It's been my favorite. I'm so excited for you to read it. Talking about the bi-directional relationship between mental health and physical health, and how we have to deal with both, both the gut and the feeling side of it, the physical and the mental, emotional, spiritual. So it really is a functional medicine perspective on mental health, functional medicine perspective on things like chronic stress and trauma and shame. Something that I talk about in the book is called shame inflammation. how these mental, emotional, spiritual things impact our physical health can be literally stored in ourselves, dysregulating our nervous system, raising inflammation, impacting the gut-brain axis, and in turn, the brain hormonal axis. But then conversely, how the physical stuff, the gut side of gut feelings, things like underlying gut problems and SIBO and histamine intolerance and mold toxicity and chronic Lyme, the physiological things, how can those things impact our mental emotional health, impacting things like anxiety and depression and brain fog and fatigue? So it's called Gut Feelings. We're giving away tons of free stuff when you order the book right now. There's a three-week online mastermind with a few of my friends and colleagues like Dr. Daniel Amen, Dr. Nicola Perra, Dr. Caroline Leaf, who actually wrote the foreword of the book. All three of those brilliant physicians have been on the podcast and they're gonna join me for everybody that pre-orders Gut Feelings. There's gonna be an online three-week mastermind for you to be a part of and do the protocol in the book. So if you wanna learn more about that, 
Check it out at drwillcole.com. Just head on over to the Gut Feelings page. And we're also giving away free signed books whenever you rate and review The Art of Being Well on Apple Podcasts. So every single month, no matter when you listen to this episode, my team and I will be randomly picking winners. You can do it two different ways. You can leave your Instagram handle in the Apple Podcast review itself, or you can take a screenshot of the Apple Podcast review and message me on Instagram. And every single month, my team and I will be going through the messages on Instagram, as well as the Apple Podcast reviews themselves. I actually read every single one of them. Thank you for the kind words. So good luck. I'll reach out to you whenever for the winners every month, and I will ask which book you want me to sign, and we'll send it out to you. All right, let's get to today's guest. She is a longtime friend of mine. Her name is Jess Cording. Jessica Cording is a registered dietitian, health coach, and author with a passion for helping people simplify their wellness routine by building sustainable, healthy habits. Through her writing, consulting, public speaking, and counseling, she works with individuals, corporations, and the media to help make drama-free, healthy living approachable and enjoyable. She is the author of a little book of Game Changers, 50 Healthy Habits for Managing Stress and Anxiety, and the newest book, The Farewell Tour, a caregiver's guide to stress management, sane nutrition, and better sleep. Let's get right to it. This is Jess Cording's Art of Being Well. Jess, I can't believe this is happening. The tables have turned. <laughs> right? You're always yeah. interviewing me. Now this is, <laughs> the time has come. How have you been? I've been great. No, and it's, it's so nice to, to reconnect and to be having this conversation today. Oh my goodness. It's going to be great. People are going to learn so much. Let's dive right into it. So let's start with what was the inspiration behind this book? And thank you so much for having me be a small part of it. And I think it's such an important message seeing patients who have come out of being caretakers and saw it impact their health very negatively. It, it was a major source of stress in their life. And and then they're there, there afterwards to kind of pick up the pieces and work on their health. So I really want to empower people today and get people to really be thinking about these things. And you talk about it so eloquently in the book. So what was the inspiration behind it? Yeah, well, the short version of that story. You know, when I was 31 years old, my father was diagnosed with advanced inoperable pancreatic cancer. Mm. And you know, I, as, as a dietitian, I, I had, I had worked with really challenging populations at that time in my career. I was in my fourth year, I believe, third or fourth year working as a dietitian for an ALS clinic, among all the other things I was doing. And I just figured that I would know what to do if my own loved one were ever to become ill and have a really difficult prognosis. And I had a lot to learn, <laughs> a lot to learn, you know, and I had been helping my patients and clients for years with stress management and self-care and I struggled and I couldn't find any resources to, to really help me. You know, all the stuff that was out there for caregivers was either so dry or mm -hmm. really not about taking care of yourself. It was really interesting. And there also wasn't a lot out there about navigating, you know, an, an illness with the family member or loved one who, where it is, where, you know, kind of, as you're getting into it, what you're looking at, you know, in terms of, is it terminal? Is there hope for recovery? What does that look like? There really was not a lot out there that spoke to me. And 
I wanted to create a resource that I know would have been helpful to me, but also a lot of my patients are caregivers too. And, you know, their families and to be able to provide better support. That was really important to me. Right. And I think it's good to point out the fact that being a quote unquote caregiver can look very different for different people. So I want to maybe open up the definition of that. Like even mentioned, even as simple of the fact that yes, there are terminal situations and there's obviously many people that have seasons of their life and then their loved one recovers, but it's still a source of stress in their life. And then, I mean, I know this probably isn't as much of the topic of your book, but would you agree that even parents of young kids or parents of, you know, any age kids, but specifically young kids, that's a very much a vortex of stress sometimes too, with juggling all the things. And I feel like a lot of these principles are going to learn in this conversation and within the book really applies to them as well. Right. Oh, you read my mind. Absolutely. I mean, caregiving can be broadly defined. Yes. It can mean someone with a specific, you know, illness for a period of time, but it can mean on anyone with ongoing needs. So that could be a child, um, teenager, college age kids, you know, but you could also, you know, I've had people say to me that in some ways for them that nurturing a business feels like caregiving Mm. in that it can be all consuming and a source of physical and emotional stress. And I've been there. I totally get that one. So I think it is, there's a lot of ways to define caregiving, even for pets. You know, I know people who have just felt like they're falling apart when their dog was sick and, you know, it's, it's very real. And I think it's important to recognize all these different aspects and the ways that caregiving might look. It's not just about caring for someone with cancer. Yeah. So for everybody listening there, just really look at the season of life that you're in or the season of life that maybe someone that you love that's in and really glean the information we're going to dig into in today's conversation because I, again, to repeat myself, I have seen so much over the past decade plus of consulting patients, the impact that that time of being a caretaker can have on health. And we have to, to be the best caretaker, to be the best version of ourselves, we have to fill our cup up as well, as cliched as that is. To live your healthiest, longest life possible, you need to understand what's going on inside. Inside Tracker takes a personalized approach to health and longevity from the most trusted and relevant source, your body. Inside Tracker was created by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, Tufts, and MIT. Inside Tracker provides personalized health analysis and clear recommendations, plus an action plan on how to live healthier, longer. Inside Tracker can also calculate your biological age. You have to check this out. You can actually see based on this data, the rate at which you're aging from the inside out compared to your chronological age, as well as ways to lower your biological age. The thing I love most about Inside Tracker is that they give you recommendations on things you can actually control to optimize your health, like what foods are right for your body based on the labs. What supplements are right for you based on the data? Workouts, what workouts are best for you? We're all different. It's bio-individuality at its best. They're also gonna give you many other customized bio-individual lifestyle choices based on your labs. And did you know that you can use your health savings account, your HSA, your HRA, your FSA, your flex spending account to buy any Inside Tracker plan, which means you can purchase Inside Tracker using your tax-free dollars. 
it gets better. For a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store when you sign up right now. So if you're ready to get a crystal clear picture of what's going on inside your body, along with science-backed recommendations to optimize what's not working for you, then visit insidetracker.com slash art of being well. That's I-N-S-I-D-E-T-R-A-C-K-E-R.com slash art of being well. insidetracker.com slash art of being well. From the offices of Create and Cultivate, I'm Jacqueline Johnson, the host of Work Party, a podcast for ambitious women looking to create and cultivate the career of their dreams. Work Party is paving the way for a new generation of women, women who are redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. Every Wednesday, we bring in leading female powerhouses for real talk and BS-free advice on building your business. You'll hear from female founders, CEOs, entrepreneurs, creatives, and so many other badass ladies. Are you ready to create and cultivate the career of your dreams? Then tune into Work Party, the podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show and never miss an episode. I'm curious here with the title, The Farewell Tour, What where did the title of the book come from? Yeah, so... You know, my dad, um, my dad is in the music industry for his, his career. Gosh, he (laughs) put him like, you know, 40 years probably. And, um, you know, so it was a framework my family understood the music business. Um, it's the, probably the number one reason I did not go into the entertainment industry. (laughs) You know, it was just, that was how, what, what I grew up seeing, you know, that kind of, um, you know, the, the wear and tear on the artists, the people supporting the artists, you know, my dad was on the promotion side. But I remember, you know, in the last months of his life, you know, I, for the whole 15 month course of his illness, you know, I, I had quit my clinical job. I was juggling a bunch of different entrepreneurial ventures just to be able to be flexible and to, to take him to appointments and stuff and, Mm. you know, doing private coaching. And I was spending my time in the city, but also taking him to doctor's appointments, spending a lot of time at my parents' house in New Jersey. And one day I was at his house and uh, he was, he's on the phone. He's, uh, you know, it's like walking to the kitchen and I see him reach into the freezer, grab like an ice cream bar. And he hangs up and he just chuckles and he says, man, once they know you're dying, everybody wants a piece of you. So we started calling it the farewell tour. My family used humor to cope a lot, especially me. And it just, it kind of became a running joke for those, for those last months was it was just, what are we doing on the farewell tour today? Wow. That's beautiful and heavy, right? That's heavy to hold. What was that like for you personally to see your dad come to grips with that mortality? I mean, it's probably just, it's probably indescribable, ineffable, but how would you do the best you could using words to describe that season of your life? Yeah. Well, I mean, there was a lot, like I said, a lot to learn. And my dad is not someone who liked to talk about death and dying and spirituality. You know, I did not grow up in a very religious household. I was raised Catholic just because my mom, that was how she grew up. That was sort of her family. uh, That was what you had to do. Yeah. (laughs) It was the cultural more than spiritual. Yeah. And um, my father was not interested in that. You know, when they were getting married, you know, they wanted to do it in a church, my mom's family. And, you know, they had to fill out like a whole survey of their thoughts on religion. And my father shared that, uh, they, that one of the questions was my thoughts on Jesus Christ are. And then there's a big blank space for you to you know, fill out your thoughts. And he just wrote infrequent. 
you know, that was sort of what I grew <laughs> up with. You know, and my, my mom, she raises Catholic, but also she is a she's a psychotherapist and a hypnotherapist. So I grew up going to all these different like wellness fairs and we, you know, were do all kinds of like I was exposed to energy work and different modalities of healing that were um, you know, outside of the norm. So it was interesting to be going through this experience, like watching my dad go through that. And as somebody too, who is a healthcare professional, who had a lot of understanding of all the things that could go wrong, as well as certain things that could help, that was challenging to, to learn that I had to take a step back and really meet my dad where he wanted to be met. That, you know, he was not one to sign on for the lifestyle approach. You know, he he grew up like, you know, working class, like Greek and Italian, super stubborn, no interest in changing his diet or his habits. And as a dietitian, health coach, Pilates instructor, like I, I had to just meet him where he was at. And that was really important. So and for me, I also had to recognize my own struggles. You know, I found that. Nutrition and movement came pretty easily because that was such a part of my my professional life. But I struggled a lot with sleep. And we could definitely talk about that more. But um, sleep and then also just navigating where I was at in my in my personal life and how different it felt from the people I saw around me. You know, there's a certain isolation that that comes with caregiving sometimes, and that was something I had to navigate. Yeah, certainly. Did your spiritual walk or spiritual journey did it change at all through that time i'm curious about that in some ways you know i feel like i i know i've always and i just discussed this a bit in the book that i've I've always just you know felt very connected to something else mm-hmm. you know i catholicism didn't resonate with me like my mother gave me my first deck of tarot cards it's my confirmation gift you know so i <laughs> i always steer a little more towards that side very of things. unorthodox yeah <laughs> yeah and um but what, what is interesting you know because I, I, I questioned a lot you know i was like well okay so all right universe like let's talk about this you know i i'm that i'm that kind of person i do tend to think that things happen for a reason and it was really hard to look to find meaning in my dad's condition. You know, that was really challenging. And I did talk more about this in the book. In the last few months of his life, my dad actually converted to Catholicism. We teased him so much. We were like, what? What? Really? Like <laughs> now? Because <laughs> yeah, my mother's father, there was always a lot of tension between the two of them because my father would not convert. And the fact that my dad wasn't Catholic was a major, but he was Greek Orthodox. So it was like a major point of like tension in my family. So after my grandfather died, about a few weeks later, my dad announced he was going to convert and he did. And we, but he walked out of the church and uh, he called me. He says, okay, well now that's two religions I'm not practicing. (laughs) But like, but at the same time, I watched him kind of acknowledge that things that, you know, that he was going to pass away from this illness. And I really, it put a, it really put an emphasis on making the most of our time together. And to me, that was very spiritual. That was something I had not done. Like I share in the book that when um, the time my dad's diagnosis, like I was 31 years old, I was super focused on my career, super single. Like I was like that heroine of the, the Hallmark movie, the career girl archetype, you know, the one who like <laughs> yeah. hates Christmas and like oh, never yeah. comes home. And ends up in a small town. <laughs> yeah, that was me. And uh, so I went through that evolution. It was oh. definitely that kind of evol- evolution. 
Oh, it's a heartbreaking Hallmark movie in many yeah. ways. Yeah. So I, I'm curious, your dad, do you feel like he converted? Because people have very much these existential, obviously, these very much serious spiritual reckonings that they have. And people have different perspectives about God and spirituality and immortality. Do you feel like he, even though he was making a joke about not practicing two religions now, do you feel like he was had a deeper understanding about something? Or do you feel like he did it for your mom and just to like make final peace? That's such a wonderful question. And I think there's a, I think it's a little of both. You know, I think he did share when he decided to convert that he he did it primarily because he wanted us all to be the same religion. Like he wanted to be able to have the same death rituals, you know, that my family had. He wanted to be able to do that in, you know, the setting where we had had so many other family occasions, you know, in our, not that I spent much time in my, you know, local parish, but, you know, technically. But at the same time, he, uh, like his own father, my, my grandfather, you know, he had said that religion was for those who need it, you know, so that was what my dad grew up with. But yet, I think he found comfort in the ritual and really just, you know, those, I don't know if rites of passage is really the, the word I'm looking for, but he did find comfort in that. And I think that just that togetherness too with our family was something that mattered to him. Yeah. It makes sense. It makes sense. So if we could pivot to something that you talk about in the book, and I think it'd be good to call out here, is caretaker burnout. What are the top signs that people need to be looking out for about caretaker burnout? Yeah, so some of the big ones, because there, there's there's big ones, there's little ones that maybe don't register with us right away, but some, some that I, I've seen so many times in patients, things I've saw myself, but just some of the main signs of caregiver burnout, uh, you're exhausted all the time. You know, if you feel like your brain is moving in slow motion or your limbs just feel super heavy, like those, that can definitely be a sign. Sleep disturbance, that's a huge one. Sometimes mood changes, like feeling easily frustrated, irritable, angry outbursts. Also, you know, another common thing that comes up, appetite changes. You know, a lot of people either notice they're eating more, or they're stress eating. Other people lose their appetite completely. Um, those are also things that can impact weight. You know, I know if I see somebody whose weight has changed a lot, like my my first thought as I was like, oh gosh, what's going on in their life? You know, what are they struggling with right now emotionally? Also things like a poor immune system function, feeling like you get every bug that's going around or if your digestion is way off, that's another thing that can happen. So those are just a few of the things, you know, we could go on and on and on, but those are some of the big, the big ones. Mm -hmm. Certainly. So what do you say to the person that is in the thick of it, they're a caregiver, and I see this quite a bit over the years, is that they don't have a great support system, right? Maybe it's a parent, an aging parent that's going through a health crisis or elderly and their siblings, or maybe they don't have any siblings, but oftentimes they have siblings, but they live far away or they are close by, but they're just not being as much of a help as they are. They're taking more of a, of a burden of the season of their life. Do you have any advice for them in that situation of just kind of being isolated and in the thick of, of being in this role? Yeah, I think a, a phrase I hear myself say a lot, and there is a whole part of, about this in the book, is to really fix what you can. 
there's going to be so much that's out of your control. And another thing that comes up a lot with caregivers is just really feeling guilty, like you're not doing enough, you're not doing it right, that you're failing. Those are some very common emotions that come up, feeling overwhelmed. So what I encourage is, you know, looking at your situation, you know, and getting really, really clear on which specific thing or things are causing you the most distress. Then taking it a step further and looking at, okay, what can you not change? What's just out of your control? And then what can you do something about? And for mm-hmm. that thing or those things, you know, I would recommend coming up with just, even if it's one tiny little thing that one step you can take or one service you can use or one person you can ask for support in your, in your orbit, you know, that can help make that thing less challenging. And I know it can seem like a drop in the bucket, sometimes, but I also let you remind people that, you know, a drop, you know, that drop in the bucket is still a drop, you know, baby steps are still steps when we can't fix all the big things. You know, I encourage looking at what you can fix. Yeah. Our next partner is athletic greens for all the patients that listen to the podcast. You all know, I love athletic greens. I like it personally, and I also recommend it to my patients. I take AG1 by Athletic Greens literally every single day. I take AG1 normally first thing in the morning, but honestly, if I miss it in the morning, no stress. I'll take it at some point in the day. It's just super convenient, and I know it's one easy thing that I can do to nourish my health. It's all the daily nutrients you need, plus long-term gut health support. AG1 is so much more than just greens. With just one scoop of Athletic Greens, I know that I'm getting the nutrients and gut health support that I need that helps my whole body thrive and covers my nutritional basis. It's made with 75 super high quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food source ingredients that delivers benefits like mood support, immune system support, sleep support, sustained energy, and so much more. I love that my AG1 is delivered monthly to my house, so I don't have to think about it. It's really convenient. And I also get the travel packs, so when I'm traveling for work, I don't have to miss a day. I just mix it with water, or you can also put it into a smoothie as well, and feel good knowing that you've taken care of your health. So if you want to take ownership over your health, today is a good time to start. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting, energy-supporting, brain-supporting vitamin D, and also five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash willcole. That's athleticgreens.com slash willcole. Check it out. In the nutrition section in the book, you talk about, when you talk about stress management, and resilience in this season of your life. You talk about how blood sugar regulation is imperative. Why is it so important? And what are some of your top tips to get your blood sugar balanced? Yeah, so our stress response and our blood sugar levels are so intertwined. It is just one of the best things you can do to support your stress response is to support stable blood sugar. Um, When our blood sugar is all out of whack, you know, it's like we're riding a roller coaster, you know, it's like your mood is all over the place, your energy is all over the place, you might be dealing with appetite control issues, irritability, it's just harder to think and function and roll with the punches. And so what I tend to recommend is eating for stable blood sugar. So some of the basics, and I'm sure your listeners know a lot about this, but you know, the very basics, you know, I recommend having a good balance of protein, fat, 
and fiber spread through the day, you know, and then the carbs that you're consuming, make sure as much as possible that you're choosing complex carbs, you know, the type that will break down more slowly, give you more sustained energy. But I would say one of the, the biggest things that I found work for, and this was huge for me, this is something I find works for my patients and clients is making sure you have protein throughout the day. You know, like a piece of fruit might be a healthy snack, but in terms of blood sugar stability, you would really benefit from something that's going to give you some protein and or healthy fat to, to keep yourself more stable. So that's, that's one of the big pieces. Great tips. How about you mentioned sleep being difficult during this time when people are stressed out even if, if, they, if they have to get up through the night to take care of them. Either one, I mean, stress will definitely impact sleep. So what are your pro tips? What have you learned to be the some effective ways to be supportive of restorative sleep? Yeah, I had a lot to learn in this area. You know, I've been a lifetime sufferer of insomnia, even as a little kid. And um, I wish I knew then what I know now about promoting restful sleep. So... Some of the things we know from research that help support more restful sleep. So keeping the sleeping environment cool, dark, and quiet. Or if like perfect quiet does not work for you, then some kind of noise filter. Like I know I need a fan to sleep or like a some kind of like white noise machine. It drives my husband crazy, but <laughs> works for me. You know, eye masks, if you can't have darkness, that's really helpful. If that's something I wish I had known then. And then you can get into other behavioral things. You know, like if for myself, I have found the end of day brain dump to be so helpful. I keep a notebook by my bed and I always write down any chatter that's in there at the end of the day. Or if I wake up in the night, that's a big one. I'll write down whatever to-do list items or anxiety loop I'm on. But the thing with the light, I just, I, this has been a game changer for so many of my patients. You know, we're so sensitive to light. It, you know, it's so tied into our melatonin levels and that artificial light in the evening can really do a number around your sleep. So as much as possible, I'll tell people like, turn the clock around, don't look at the clock, you know, cover anything that blinks, you know, use a tiny little like uh, reading clip on light with like an amber colored bulb or wear glasses with amber lenses. Like I'm, my patients must think I'm a nut. I'm always talking about the amber colored stuff, but, and then alcohol, like alcohol. Oh my gosh. It's so rough on sleep. You know, that's something that can make a really big, big difference. You're absolutely right. I, I'm talking about that all the time with patients on social media and on the podcast is people are looking for something to unwind and when they're stressed out, but it ends up really being an underlying saboteur to their sleep. So people should definitely look at alcohol as being something that in the long run is not congruent to filling their cup up. Uh, cheers to that. <laughs> bad puns. Filling like, oh, cup up and cheers. Yeah. If I had known that, like I, I've, I'm only four foot 11. I've never been able to drink much, but I just like, if I had known how much better I would feel with like no alcohol, you know, cause that's something that, you know, I think it's for a lot of people, it's about the ritual and they, and then that ritual and the way that they feel when they engage in that ritual becomes tied to the substance. And a lot of, and I found this for myself. I found this for a lot of my patients and clients over the years is that when they remove the substance, but they still have the ritual, they still, they get the benefit in an even better way. And I, that is something I wish I had thought to lean into at that time. But, you know, I was 31, 32, I was trying to date, which was <laughs> a bit of a disaster. And so of course we're, con we're conditioned, like you go on a date, you get a drink. 
And I just, that, that made everything so much worse for me. Yeah. Do you have any alcohol-free, you know, mocktail ideas, some other ritual that people can bring in that's actually congruent to sleep and mood and energy levels? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I love making mocktails. Um, one of my favorites is to do lemon and ginger. So I'll do like lemon juice and then I'll juice some ginger. Or maybe if I in a short shortcut, a little bit of ginger kombucha, if it's not too high in sugar, you know, mix that with some seltzer over ice. And that's a, a flavor combination I love. Or sometimes I made this last night. I'll do um, seltzer with a little bit of pomegranate juice, a little splash of that, some apple cider vinegar, some lime. I have a major sour tooth. So I definitely uh, lean into that. But I also, you know, there's also a lot more products on the market now that are alcohol free, like alcohol free distilled spirits. You know, there's alcohol free wines, like alcohol free beers. And, you know, previous generation were just, they were all terrible. But now there's actually some out there that are pretty decent. So it's funny, my husband um, runs a distillery and I tell people to drink less all day. And um, <laughs> so we, but it's funny, he doesn't really drink much either. So we have tons of alcohol at home and it just doesn't get touched. But on our bar cart, we have a bunch of non alcoholic things as well because some of them you can be really creative with. So I say with mocktails, you use flavor, herbs. Make it an experience and use the nice glasses, you know, but beyond things to consume, you know, I found what has also worked for people is spend like that time. Like, you know, if you're someone who uses alcohol to mark the end of the day, you know, or say that, okay, now we're shifting into relaxation time. Like during the pandemic, I, I found a lot of people struggled with this in the early days of lockdown because the home and work were still blurred, you know, and alcohol was a very easy way to like draw a line in the sand. So if there are other rituals you might enjoy, you know, like meditation or yoga or taking a walk or engaging in a hobby that is pleasurable to you, like those are all ways to unwind and de-stress that don't involve alcohol. Mm -hmm. Great tips. What do you say to, to the caregiver that is going through relationship changes with the person they're caring for? You know, the someone that they saw as strong or you know, that that it's evolving. It's evolving as the, you know, whether it's an illness or an elderly parent and those roles shift. Any, any tips there for relationship changes, dynamic changes? Yeah. I mean, I think step one is to acknowledge the change, you know, where I, I've seen people struggle and this is both, you know, in my personal life, but also as a clinician, you know, supporting patients and their families through the course of the long a long illness that it, it can be a real trip, you know, like emotionally, it can be very jarring to, to go through that. And acknowledging the change is a really important first step. And, you know, I think also to being patient with yourself and with your loved one, uh, if therapy is an option, you know, I do encourage that as much as possible. You know, now we have more and more options for low cost therapy too, which is just wonderful. But even if it's just talking with people in your life who can be a supportive, supportive listener, or if you know of anybody who's been through that, or if they're, if you find support groups helpful, some people find them really helpful. Others find them the opposite of helpful. I think it's important to be honest with yourself about that. But I think just acknowledging and giving yourself the space and permission to process those emotions that come up about those changes, very, very important. Yeah. What do you say when to somebody that they, they are a caregiver and there's trauma involved? And I've seen this with patients where their relationship with their parent, for example, 
isn't, wasn't the best. And there's a lot of unresolved trauma and they haven't really worked it out. I mean, but yet they're the only ones that are left or around to take care of that parent. And this could apply probably to different relationships as well. I know that's a complex dynamic with a lot of individuality and context, but any good advice if somebody's in that situation? Yeah, I mean, I think trauma doesn't get talked about in this context nearly enough. I touch on it only very lightly in the book. I feel like this could be a whole other focus for another project, but trauma has very far-reaching physical and emotional manifestations. You know, I think that, you know, the experience I shared in, in the book, I very briefly discussed my own personal history of trauma and PTSD from sexual assault when I was a teenager. And, you know, that was something that for many years, my father and I would butt heads on because I was someone who needed to talk about it. And he was not equipped to, to give that space. And I, at, you know, at that age, I couldn't get my head around what it must be like to be a parent watching your child go through something like that. And um, we were fortunate in that later in life, we were able to talk it through and really kind of say what we needed to say. But I still had a bit of a hard time because I would feel the flickers of the, the PTSD, you know, very specific, you know, for anyone who's been through any kind of traumatic experience, you know, there's so many types of trauma, big T, little T, you know, that when it, it kind of the dust gets kicked up, you know, we sometimes we know what triggers it. Sometimes we don't. It's just we were like, wow, why, why am I suddenly feeling so terrible? And then it takes that that moment to recognize where that feeling is coming from. And to really that's when those self-care tools become really essential. You know, I know for myself, blood sugar management has been so helpful for dealing with my PTSD and little trauma flickers over the years. You know, movement so helpful. But for, for others, you know, maybe it's tapping into something that shifts your energy in a positive way. You know, maybe you watch funny cat videos on YouTube or maybe you use aromatherapy or spirituality can be a great tool. But for things where it is related to the person you're caring for, you know, and I've watched I've watched people go through this, you know, where they're caring for a parent where they have a very complicated relationship with. You know, I've seen this a lot. And it adds a whole other layer of emotion to the caregiving situation. And oftentimes that person is having to work through very complex feelings. You know, they're trying to be a supportive caregiver, but then they have this anger and this, this trauma. And as much as possible, you know, I encourage taking care of yourself physically because that can really impact your emotional resilience. But I, as much as possible, you know, if that, if there is a way to get supportive help with, from a mental health care professional or someone in your life who can serve a role that is supportive and helps you feel heard, understood, like your feelings are not wrong. That's a big mm -hmm. thing. I think people need to feel validated. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I do encourage making that a priority. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, and as far as cat videos on social media, I'm more of a whale video kind of guy. Yes. Do you, do you what? I mean, man, that's some meditation right there. Whales, yeah. whale videos I could watch forever. I don't it's know what incredible. that says about me, but they're pretty magical. <laughs> all the, all the ocean creatures. It's, <laughs> it's like another planet. It's a, it's wild. It is. It is. Hey, pro tip. That's my pro tip. It'll calm you down. It'll calm you down, but then get off your phone. <laughs> do yeah, all the things, yeah. do all the things. Don't stress about it. All right. Something that I love about the book is this playlist that you included throughout the book. 
So tell people about that and what what was the process like of creating that and why did you do it? Yeah, you know, music is my family's love language. That is always how we have communicated with each other. You know, there could be times we might be fighting about something or arguing and then we put on a song and everyone stops and listens. And, you know, it just has that moment together. And of course, I grew up going to shows like some of my earliest memories of the young kid of being backstage at different concerts, just watching the show from from back there, you know, like my father would make a playlist for like every occasion. It was just, that was just what we did. You know, it was for mixed CDs, you know, yeah. then like play. It's just, that's always been a part of the fabric of my family life. And I, I always wanted to do something involving writing and nutrition and music. I just didn't know what it would look like. And the music piece of this book, really, it came to me in a dream. I, I I dreamt that I was at a party and I saw one of the artists that my dad had worked with in his days at Columbia. And, the, the you know, we, we saw each other and we started talking about my dad and telling these stories. And I, I said to my husband and when I woke up, I was like, oh, gosh, this is going to get even more complicated, this book. But I have to follow this thread. And the playlist, you know, I... Every big project I write has a playlist. I, that's just always how I've operated. It helps me get into the 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 voice, the feel of whatever it is I'm writing. And I, my father was very specific about what he wanted us to do with his social media when he passed away. He was like, no, take down my Facebook. I don't want it to be an effing memorial page. That's what he said. But he wanted us to maintain a Spotify account because that was where he had all these playlists that he had created on there over the like 10 or so years he had been using it. So when I decided I wanted to make a playlist for this book, I, I looked at my playlists from the 15 months of his illness because I also I have dozens and dozens, probably hundreds of playlists. And I also looked at his because I still had access to them. So everything that he and I were listening to a lot during those 15 months. So I I put a playlist together of a combination of those songs and kind of matched them to different chapters. And I probably spend just as much time and energy on this as I did writing the actual book. It was a, definitely a process, a lot of, a lot of emotional processing as sure. well as I was doing that. I mean, music is so, there's so much research around this, but just it's being such a healing modality in and of itself but then for you there's this deeper meaning of it's such in, intertwined in the fabric of your family dynamic and then there's so many memories too i'm sure just even you bringing up certain songs and and the memories i'm sure that's a spiritual experience in and of itself right yeah for for me that's always been if there's like anything i need to meditate on or you know i definitely would I could make a case for the idea that listening to music or cer certain albums, you know, that's like going to church for me. I don't know if anyone still listens to albums anymore, but I do. No, I think I, I do. I do. I feel like as from an artistry standpoint, there's an intentionality of the order of the songs. The it's. I mean, you and I are writers too. So it, to me, it's like that, the musician's book and you don't yeah. go and grab a chapter necessarily and, do it. I mean, you could, but to me, the real beauty of it is the context of the larger project. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And even you saying to me, well, I, I dreamt about this playlist and you followed that thread. That seems to me like this whole project was a deeply spiritual work for you. Very much so. You know, I um, I'm also that person, and I get this from my dad's dad, like I mourn by getting to work. 
you know, mm-hmm. there are elements of that that are not helpful for me. But at the same time, I, you know, and I remember, um, you know, in one of her essays, you know, Joan Diddy, and I, maybe this is even the White Album saying, you know, that she writes to understand. I can't remember. That might not be the, she, the, she said, I, we tell ourselves stories in order to live. That's the White Album. But another another essay she says is that, you know, I, I write in order to understand. And that's always been my approach, trying to, to figure things out as I go through a creative process with them. And, you know, it was funny. It was this very um, weird time in, in my life when I was working on this book because I found myself living in a different state. You know, I, I had just gotten married and we were trying to, you know, find, find a home to live in. I, you know, changed my work situation and I found myself living in my mother's house, my, my parents' house. I wrote most of this book sitting cross-legged on my old bed, in my old bedroom. You know, it was a wild thing to be processing all that while writing this and getting to share stories with my mother and with my, you know, I interviewed a lot of the artists my dad worked with, or not a lot, a small sampling of them because there were just so many. And just hearing their stories about him and hearing, you know, the musician side of life on the road and what it's like to be on tour, literally, and how you, you know, how you take care of yourself or lessons they've learned about staying well when you're on that kind of a a tour. Mm -hmm. So that was, it was a very spiritual experience in a way, a lot of, a lot of healing, a lot of things that I learned Right. And so from the title to the format to the conversations of people that you that your dad worked with in the music industry, this is really a love letter and celebration of your dad's life, it seems. Do you kind of a personal question, do you when you talk about afterlife and he's not here with us physically at least right now, do you ever talk to your dad and did you ever experience anything that maybe some communication from the other side from him? Oh, yeah. Like, I I grew up believing in that stuff. Like, as a kid, I thought everybody heard things and saw things and dreamt about things and had ghosts in their house. I thought it was the most normal thing in the world. And and then I made the mistake of talking about it at school. But, um, yeah, you know, I will say, I, I talk a little bit in the book about, and I actually interviewed a psychic medium incredible woman, Karen Noe, um, about without a doubt signs, you know, signs from your loved ones that they're there. And, you know, I, so I share a little bit about some of those, but, you know, it's funny, um, after my dad likes to come to me in dreams sometimes, and it's one of the things he'll do, he'll call me on the phone. That's one, one of his things, but it, it always feels different when it's an, a true visitation versus like just a, maybe an anxiety dream or just a, a dream, you know, where he just, there's this, this energy, like this, this very specific feeling and he'll always have a very specific message to share. Sometimes it's something very like profound and loving. And other times it's more advice. Like one, one of the dreams that I had of where he came to me, he was, he was telling me just tell them to go F themselves, which is something he would have said when he was alive, you know, like, yeah. but I think um, my, my dad one of the first things he ever said to me, like one of the first dreams I had like that, he was like, no, it's really me. I can do this now. Cause when he was alive, he didn't really believe in it so much, mm-hmm. but that did change as, as time went on. Mm. And it's always a very peaceful feeling. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. I could talk to you forever about these topics. It's just fascinating to me. You know, the podcast is called the art of being well at the end of every podcast. It's your art of being well. This is just Cording's art of being well. So the first question is, let's talk about a little bit about nutrition here. This applies really to anybody, 
But for you personally, what's the worst tasting healthy food that you still eat because it's so good for you, but it tastes freaking horrible? Oh, gosh. Well, I won't eat quinoa because that's just, I can't go there. But the one I will eat, I like everyone always wants to give dietitians quinoa at events. I just <laughs> don't. I will not eat it. That's funny. It's like the personification of dietitians is quinoa. That's, that makes sense. Yeah, and it's just not my thing. But I will say I make an exception for turmeric. Like I, we have just so much research on the benefits of turmeric and I don't love the taste but I make sure I put it in my food at some point every day. You know, I mix it with other spices, other flavors that, you know, so at least like I'm still getting some of the benefit, but I'm, I'm using flavors that complement the flavor. So I'm not, I don't feel like I'm choking it down. Love it. Love the answer. If you had to eat one food for the rest of your life, regardless of health benefits, purely on taste alone, what would that food be? Gosh. So I'm a texture person. And I just love, I could just probably live off of like plain Greek yogurt, like full fat Greek yogurt. I could probably eat that every day, all day if I had to. I, I mean, I'd have to find fiber somewhere, but that's that's one of my, my go-to foods that makes me feel really well, that I just love the taste and the texture of. Any specific kind that you like? So, you know, I really, the thicker, the better. <laughs> so a lot of like the Icelandic ones, you know, like Siggy's and Icelandic provisions. I love Stonyfield and wonderful organic Greek yogurt, but I actually been making my own a lot recently. I have a really? yogurt maker and I'll, I'll make it, I'll strain it. I, cause just where I live, I was having a hard time finding grass fed Greek yogurt that was mm-hmm. like within my budget and that I just, that tasted good to me. So I was like, well, I'll just, just make my own. So that's what I do a lot. I love that. I've never heard of some, I know people that make kombucha. I used to make kombucha. I know people that make water kefirs and coconut kefirs, never yogurt, but is it, is it pretty easy? I'm, could I get into it? Oh, it's so easy. Well, here's what I will tell you. If you buy a yogurt making machine, it's really easy, (laughs) you know, and just like the getting, you know, once you get your, you can either buy a starter culture or you can use an, an old container of yogurt that you've made before and just keep, keep going with it. I love that. So that's been a really nice, uh, a really nice way to just kind of upgrade my daily routine in just a really approachable way. I love it. So what's the yogurt maker look like? I mean, what, what's the, the, the yoganator? What's, what's, what's it about? Yeah. So there's a few different types. The one that I use is that it's kind of like a, like a, a shallow dish with like a lid that goes on top. So that way you're trapping the warm air inside, it. you know, yeah. it kind of works by heating it to a specific temperature. Like first you have to bring the milk to a certain temperature and then you let it cool to another temperature. Then you add the, the, the culture, then you put it in the container. Like I use a glass container that I put the yogurt in to ferment for, you know, I'll usually do like 12 plus hours. Cause I like it to be that, that specific texture, but yeah, not like I nerd out on it or anything. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, right. <laughs> I did not think this conversation would go to the deep dives of yogurt. That's right. your next book, Jess. That's, that's your next book. Yeah. Making yogurt with Jess Cording. <laughs> what are two supplements that have been the biggest game changers or needle movers for you personally? Ooh, so magnesium glycinate for sleep. That has been a major game changer. I wish I had known about that when I was going through all the sleep troubles I was having. Like that's, that's it right there for me. So that's been a game changer. Supplements, you know, there's so many that I've just kind of like 
that it just becomes actually, no, I know a good answer for this. Vitamin D. When I was in my twenties, I didn't realize I was vitamin D deficiency and I developed a stress fracture in my arm from doing yoga. I was also trying to follow a vegetarian diet at that point in my life to, to keep a boyfriend happy, which you should never change your diet for a partner. No, especially not one who makes you feel like crap about your eating no. habits. Oh Lord. Yeah. But yeah, the vitamin D, I think, um, I still take a vitamin D supplement, you know, living in a part of the world where we don't get really that consistent daylight and having a, a type of job where I'm indoors for a lot of the, the best daylight hours. I would say that that's been a really important one for my physical well-being, but also mental, mentally, you know, having adequate vitamin D is so important. And that did make a difference for me. Yeah. Two great answers. I had to say after when I asked this question to a lot of the guests, that's really the top two, which makes sense. When I'm looking at labs, vitamin D deficiency, magnesium deficiency are ubiquitous. So uh, yeah, great answers. I'm curious to hear your answer on this. What's an overrated supplement in your opinion? It may be fine. It's it's completely fine for for people to do, but in your opinion, maybe it's a little bit too overstated. Oh, where to start? You know, I mean, one way to answer that question would be the gummy vitamins. <laughs> I just can't get on board with that. Like I have had so many people, they won't eat a banana because they're like, it's too much sugar. And yet they'll consume like 30 <laughs> grams of sugar worth of gummy vitamins. And somehow that's virtuous. And like, that's just food marketing right there. But yeah. um, beyond that, I think sometimes mega doses of certain vitamins, like mega dosing vitamin C when you don't need to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and we saw a lot of this like earlier in the pandemic, you know, people doing mega doses of vitamin C and zinc mm-hmm. and like to the point where there's in some cases maybe even concern for toxicity you know mm-hmm. or interaction with other nutrients but I think some of these like supplements where you're getting a blend of things and they're claiming to fix all your problems like that drives me nuts yeah. you know I'm I think it's very individual and you need to be really thoughtful about supplement use yeah great advice What's a wellness brand? It could be a food, a snack, a product that you've really been digging lately. Oh, I mean, I am obsessed with wild blueberries. <laughs> I was lucky enough to go up to Maine this past summer for the harvest. And after eating them fresh, I don't know how I could ever eat any other blueberry again. But I've been loving Wyman's frozen blueberries. Like I always have their frozen wild blueberries in the freezer. Like we use them all the time. They're just one of my favorite brain foods. I love that. Yeah. A lot of good research around them and the polyphenols of blueberries and antioxidants and fiber. What's the brand again? How do you spell it? Oh, so W-Y-M-A-N-S. Okay, great. I'll have to put that in the show notes for people. Check that out. Do you get it at a health food stores? You buy it online? Where do you get yours? You know, I've been, I've, I'm able to buy it at my local, you know, markets, you know, your stop and shop or uh, depending where you are in the country, right? Mm-hmm. But like stop and shop, shop, right? You know, some of the the higher end stores too. So I've been able to find it pretty much anywhere that I go grocery shopping. Got it. What's a free or low cost wellness tool for someone that's on a budget and just a way for them to level up their health? No, <laughs> meditation. Let's say, let's say meditation. Because even if it's just focusing on your breath for a minute. No, that can seriously help reset your energy. Love that. And you also said cut back on coffee. So I think that we should go there a little bit. People want to know how much is too much. Should people like not be drinking it at all? What's your opinion? 
Yeah, this so officially the recommendation for healthy adults, you know, in the U.S. is to cap it at about 400 milligrams per day. That still seems like a lot for a lot of people. This is someone I used to drink eight cups of coffee a day when I was an intern in the hospital. I just always caffeinated. And of course, after age 30, I started having heart palpitations, sleep problems. You know, my doctor's like, how much coffee do you drink? But I will say that with coffee, you know, that 400 milligrams, which is the equivalent of about four cups of drip coffee, but just to know that Starbucks and certain other chains brew like doubly strong. So that's like two Starbucks cups. You know, I would say start with a little, you know, we know that a little bit of caffeine can boost alertness, exercise endurance, you know, it has some mental and physical benefit that, you know, I think are worth exploring. But for people who maybe struggle with stress, anxiety, digestive issues, certain cardiovascular issues, it's important to to use a light touch, if at all, with caffeine. And of course, during certain life phases, like during pregnancy or when someone is trying to conceive, being mindful of caffeine intake can also make a big difference. I know for myself, I cut way back gradually, but I really got serious about cutting back maybe a year, year and a half ago when I did cortisol labs. And I saw that my cortisol levels were just, they started really high. They didn't go down at all. And that was one thing that I was just, you know, I haven't tried this yet. So let's see what happens. And it, it for me, it was very helpful. I still drink a little caffeine. You know, I drink some green tea or matcha most mornings, but that I've just felt so much better without the giant cup of coffee. Yeah. Great insights, great insights and context. Thank you, Jess. My friend, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Where can people get the book, learn more about your work? Tell them all the things. Yeah, thank you for having me. So I am I can be found on social media. I'm on Instagram and Twitter, Jess Cording. I'm not very active on Facebook, but I am on there as Jessica Cording Nutrition. I do have a TikTok. I should post to it more. I think I'm on there as Jess Cording. But if you're looking for me online, you can find my website, jessicacordingnutrition.com. And the book is available anywhere you buy books online, whether that's, you know, you want to go to the distributor, Simon & Schuster's website, you want to purchase on Amazon, or you can ask for me at your local independent bookstore or library. You know, I've had people get orders placed there. And you can also visit my website if you want to order books. Great. Thanks so much, Jess. Come back anytime. Thanks again for listening to The Art of Being Well. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit follow and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to drwillcole.com slash podcast. I'll be back every Monday and Thursday, and I hope you will too. Talk soon. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.